Please, please be seated. Thank you. What a privilege it is to be able to minister God's Word for Clint this morning. You know, the, as I looked at that video, it looked like the adults were having as much fun as the kids were in this. And 17 kids come to know Jesus. You guys are just having a huge impact. A huge impact on this area. And that, I believe, ties in with what the Lord has given me this morning to share with you. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. And I want us to begin to see prayer as something that produces results for us. If I asked you to raise your hands, how many would say, don't do it. But if I asked you to raise your hands, I suspect most everyone in here would do so if I asked this question. Would you like to see more results from the prayers that you put forth to the Lord? Every one of us would probably raise our hand. And that's what we really want to talk about this morning. So, it, this really ties in with what Lauren was talking about. The Lord wants us to live in the fullness of what Jesus bought for us in this life. Heaven is going to be beyond imagination. I believe that's why the Lord doesn't tell us any more than He does about heaven and what it's going to be like when we get there. But He desires, and in fact, He tells us to pray, Thy kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven. He wants to have us live this abundant life here on this earth. And our prayer life is such an important part of it. If you want to turn in your Bibles or if you're taking notes, we're going to start and kind of anchor ourselves on James 5, the 16th verse. And I just want to focus on the last part of that verse. It talks about confessing our trespasses and praying for one another that we may be healed. And then there's this phrase. And we're going to read a couple of different translations. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I do most of my study in, in the New American Standard Bible. And it reads this way. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So, my question to you this morning is when you read this verse, does this cause you to, to just jump inside? Do you identify with this verse? Or are you one who says, boy, I wish that did describe me, but I'm not a good prayer, or I'm not good enough, or look what I've done. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. That, and it really ties in with the last thing that uh, Clint asked me to share several weeks ago when I was here on Galatians 5, of how we've been made righteous. And so that's what I want to focus in on this morning, is this about prayer. We don't want to judge ourselves, because if we do, we're going to end up what? Condemning ourselves, thinking we aren't good enough, thinking we can't receive what God tells us we can and the other thing I want you to realize is if you feel that way, you're not alone. In fact, you're in the majority. So many of the people who I counsel with saying, I want to do good, I want to pray, but I just don't feel that way. And what do we end up doing? We end up going and asking others to pray for us because we think they get better results than we do. But the Lord wants us to all come up to His standard for us. So this morning, let's look at Hebrews, the, fifth chap the fourth chapter, the 15th verse. 
This says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. So let's just turn that around. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, things that we are not good at, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, talking about Jesus. And then it concludes in verse with saying this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly. Now you would say, gosh, I'm just not a brash person. Well, that's not what boldly means here. This word is translated confidence much more than it is boldly. So what he's saying here for us is that when we are confident, we can come without any fear before that throne of grace. And why can we do that? Because of what Jesus has done for us in making us righteous. And I believe this is the key that we need to understand in our praying. And it, it talks about let us go boldly before the throne of grace to take mercy and then to obtain grace. So everything we need is there for our asking to the throne. Now let's go back to James 5.16 if you can for a moment. And let me just read it to you again. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What kind of prayer is it talking about? Effective. Now, the first translation I read said the, the effective, fervent prayer. And what do we tend to do? We focus more on the fervent part. I've got to pray hard, or I've got to pray loud, or I've got to pray long. But that's not the emphasis of this verse. The emphasis of this verse is the effective part. The word that's used there in the original language means it's energized. So we're talking about prayer here that is energized by the power of God to bring results for you who have been made righteous. Now, when we think about that, we tend to look at others as a standard. But who is our standard? It's not Pastor Clint. It's not Miss Melanie. It's certainly not me. It's not your neighbor here. The standard that we are given to live our life to is Jesus. Now immediately you go and say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Yes, it is. But think about it. He laid aside all his deity privileges as God. That means he didn't depend on them. He took his, a body just like we have, and then that body was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. Listen to what it says in John 11, the 22nd verse. Lazarus has died. Martha has gone out to meet Jesus as he's coming in <clears throat> four days after he's dead. And look at what it says. She says to him after saying, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then she says, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, if Jesus is our standard, and this truth is written about him, then what does that say to you and I? That we should expect prayers that are made in faith, believing that we receive them when we pray, we should what? we should believe that they shall come to pass. And that's really what 
the book of Mark in the 11th chapter, the 23rd, 24th verse, is telling us. But what do we do? We say, that's Jesus. I cannot attain to that. Well, when we start having those kind of words coming out of our mouth, then what are we confessing? We're, we're really saying, I don't believe the Bible. Because this is what the Bible says concerning you and, you and I. So let me ask you this question. Whose idea is answered prayer? Is it something Adam came up with? Is it something the man, man came up with? No. It is the Lord's idea. Look with me at Luke 11, 11 through 13. Now, I'm going to use a lot of scriptures today because the Word tells us that your faith comes by hearing the Word of God and hearing the anointed Word of God. It doesn't come by me giving you just my opinion. But look at what this verse is saying. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? So who is this talking about? You and I here. If you then, being evil, now evil means a person of sin, how we were before we were born again. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Let me say this a different way. How much more will the heavenly Father put himself in you so that you can live the life that Jesus lived to those who ask him. So we get a key here that the Lord wants us to ask, but what do we see? He's saying if we think we give good gifts to our kids and you grandparents, you know you give good gifts to your grandkids. And I see a lot of smiles there. How much more will your good Heavenly Father that Lauren mentioned this morning give you what you're asking for? So let's dwell on that. Let's talk about that for a few moments. Psalm 84, verse 11. Have you heard people say, well, we just got to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until the Lord just... We weary him and he gives it to us. Now, if you're laughing, you're laughing as I have done when I've heard this verse because it's something I've lived. You can identify with it. Look at what this verse says. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace. And what is grace? It's what we don't own. It's the Lord looking at you and I as if We'd never sinned or have sin never existed. So the Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Now, the word uprightly there literally means who walk righteously. And what did we talk about in the very first verse? Have you been made righteous? Yes. And if you were here for the study of Galatians, you saw that over and over. You have been made righteous with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit can come live in you. So if we think that we're going to have a need and God's got this, and he's got his hands closed, and we're going to change his mind by begging him, I think we're kidding ourselves. 
Totally, totally wrong. We need to see a God who is favored towards you, has favor towards you. In fact, one of the words for favor, I taught a Bible study recently on this, has an implication of a higher person, our Lord, bending over to a lower with his hand outstretched and open to give. That's the way we need to see our Heavenly Father. Now, don't start thinking, well, gosh, I need this and this, and if, if it's not scriptural, then let me just say, don't, don't ask for it. Look for things that are in the Word. Look for those promises. But I want you to get a vision that we are not going to pry something from God's hand that He doesn't want to give us. And you have promise after promise after promise for every area of your life. And you're going to see where this scripture tells us that it is ours when we pray in that way. Second Peter, the first verse, I mean, the first chapter, verse 2, says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us. Stop there. How many of you didn't enjoy taking English in school? How many of you can remember, though, that even though you didn't enjoy it, enjoy it, has granted. And I guess I'm reading verse 3 now. Has granted is what? Past tense. It doesn't say, seeing that God's power will grant to us, does it? Who is this written to? Believers, just like yourself. It says that God has granted by His power, divine power, to us everything pertaining to life, how we live life down here on this earth, and godliness. Now, that's not saying we won't be tempted. That's not saying the devil won't come attack us with evil. But this verse is telling me we have already been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. But we, don't, we can't act on it until we know because it comes through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. And then it concludes in verse 4 by saying, For by these, by these what? Well, we're about to see. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises. And you say, well, what is that? Well, that's everything that he gives through his grace. It's everything we need to live life and life abundantly on this earth. So then that we may become partakers of his divine nature, of his desire to give to us of his goodness, having escaped the corruption that was in the world by lust. That's talking about us being born again. So here we have a second witness that tells us that the Lord wants to give good things to us, and he's already done it through the death, burial, and resurrection of his Lord Jesus and our Lord Jesus, if we have accepted him. Let me read you one more, Romans 8. Verse 29, I want to read this in the New Living Translation. I like the way it reads a little better. For God knew in advance, for God knew his people in advance. So God knew you and I before we were ever born. And he chose thus, us, and I'm going to say that instead of them. He chose us to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So who are the many brothers and sisters? You and I. 
That's us. He chose us in advance so that we could be made like his son. Then verse 30 says, having chose us, he calls us to come to him. And having called us, he gave us right standing, that righteousness, with himself. And having given that right standing, he gave his glory. Didn't we see a scripture other? It says, for God gives grace and glory. Well, how does he give his glory to us? That's by placing the Holy Spirit in you, which is the glory of God. And then 31 says, what shall we say about these wonderful things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? And then verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Now think about that a minute. We talked about verses where fathers give good things to their son here in this earth. The Lord knew you. He's called you. He's made you like his son who was the firstborn, and we are those brothers and sisters. Why do we have this opinion that we have a God who is sitting in heaven holding back until we get perfect before him? We just have been taught wrong through the years. We've developed a wrong image of God. We see God as somebody who's a mean old grumpy old man who's got a bat just waiting to whack you when you mess up. And that's not who our Lord is. So we've been conformed to his image. We've been justified. We've been glorified. We've been made righteous, that justified just as if I'd never sinned. And then verse 32 says, because of that, he wants to freely give us all things. Now, that's all things that he's promised. So let me read this verse out of two other translations. And I want you to begin to see yourself in these words that I'm going to read. I'm reading it out of the complete Jewish Bible first. The prayer of a righteous person, if you're born again, that's you, is powerful and effective. You know, that would be a good profession for you to make in the morning as you start your prayer time. Lord, you said... That since you've made me righteous, my prayer is powerful and effective. So I'm expecting things to happen today. The Webster translation says the insistent prayer. The insistent prayer of a righteous person is powerfully effective. Why would my prayer be insistent? Because I know that it's mine. You know, we think prayer is asking or begging But actually, one of the words that is used for prayer that we're about to look at in some verses means something probably that would surprise you. In fact, I'm not going to even tell you all, all the words it means because you would probably turn me off. But it has a connotation of a requisition or something you've been given to do. Chris, we went to Honduras, what, four or five years ago together? And I met him and learned that he's a, one of the two linemen who went on that trip with us from your power company here in Sylvania. And I had the good fortune as a young guy when I was going to Georgia Tech to co-op with Georgia Power. And what I saw was we would, the, the linemen, the crews, would be given a job to do. And they would be given a bill of material or a listing. And they would go to the storeroom 
and let me just say it this way, make a request to be given what they needed to be effective on the job. That's the best example that I know what this word means that's used for ask over and over in the Bible. Yet how many of us would dare? I can't go and request this of God. It's almost like I'm asking, expecting. Well, isn't that what faith is? Believing that we're receiving when we ask. And everything we receive is through faith. So let's look at some words from Jesus and see what he says about this. John 15, 7. Now Jesus made the statement to us. He said, I don't do anything except that I see the Father do it. And I don't say anything except that I what? Hear what he says. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. We ought to be doing the same. John 15, 7. If you abide in me. Now there's scripture after scripture that says we abide in him and he abides in us. So if you are born again, this is where you can dwell. And it doesn't mean in a physical place, but it means in that spiritual place. You're seated in heaven with him. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you know that's true because Jesus is the word made flesh. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will or wish, and it shall be done for you. Now, that's where a lot of us go tilt. As a young kid, I played pinball machines in my ten teenage years, particularly before basketball games. The team would go, and we'd just relax doing things like that. And when you hit that thing too hard, it would do what? Tilt, and you would lose your game. When we do tilt, when we read verses like this, that's exactly what happens to us. It, it knocks our faith off to where it's not effective and not working. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done. Now that's not the only time he said it. In John 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, in my name, and let me just knock over or tip over a, a sacred cow here. That phrase is not to be used after every prayer you pray if you're just using it as a phrase only. Now, why are you saying that sounds wrong? When my father died, I was made executor of the will. Therefore, I was able to do what? Do everything that he wanted done, but I was doing it in his name by the authority given me in that power of attorney and in that executorship. This is what in that name means here. We are asking because you've been given the right as a son or daughter to ask a joint heir with Jesus, it tells us, for things that have been promised to us. So whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then the very next verse says this, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You know, don't, let, don't go tilt. 
Remember, you're confessing. I've been made righteous, and my prayer is powerful and effective. Another verse, or set of verses, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. It starts out and says, this is the confidence. That's that same word that we saw earlier in Hebrews that was used for boldly. This is the confidence that we have before the Father that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now, what is His will? It's the Word of God. It's what you're looking at on your phone or if you're carrying a physical Bible, it's what you're looking at. His Word is His will for you. So we have confidence, it says, that if we ask anything that is in His Word, one of those precious promises given to us, that He will hear us. Now, to me, this also implies that we're, if we're asking things that are not according to His will, what happens? He doesn't hear us. So this is the most effective way, I believe, for us to understand. It's why the Word that you're fed here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and grow groups is so important because this is what builds you up to ask for things that are according to his will. So we know he hears us, but then verse 15, and we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the, look at that word, request, which we've asked for him. So what are we doing in our prayers? We are taking the requisitions the promises He's given us. And we're going before Him and we're saying, by the authority that Jesus has given me, I can confess, I can ask for whatever promise you need for that moment. Be it healing. Be it having enough to live. Psalm 23 says, we shall not lack anything that you need. Peace that Lauren talked about when you wake up and you're, a word that I used or I was given when I was younger, discombobulated. I didn't know where I was. When we get that way, we simply go to the Father and say, Jesus, you said you gave me your peace, therefore I'm asking it. I'm taking it today. I'm going to walk in that. Let me close with this scripture. 2 Corinthians, first chapter, the 20th verse. 2 Corinthians, first chapter, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are what? Come on, say it with me. Yes. It doesn't say there may be. It doesn't say that they'll happen if you pray just right. It says if we believe His Word and we ask Him His Word, in Him... The promises of God are yes. You know, we've made prayer way too hard sometimes. Now, is there a battle sometime? Yeah, the battle in prayer is going to be for you to get into faith and peace so that you can enter into His rest and you can pray for things that are troubling to, for you with this confidence. But saints, once we get this in our heart, and how do we do that? By hearing the Word and hearing that Word bubble up 
you're going to sense that faith begin to rise so that you have confidence when you go before the Lord. You won't say every time something comes up. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to do it. There are times when we need the prayer of agreement with others. But every time that a need comes forth, Scripture teaches us that there are those things that we ought to be able to pray for ourselves. So let me just encourage you with this. This is where I believe the Lord wants to take this church. Why? Because you've done well in the job that you've started in this city. Seventeen kids coming to Jesus in three days. But your prayers for your city, for our state, for our nation, think of the difference you can make when you begin to pray for con with confidence versus just us using prayer as a complaint session about the way things are to God. You've got a mission here. He's called you to do some good work. It's going to take finances. It's going to take people who are confident in their God. It's going to take some resources. It's going to take you being willing and able and healthy to go out. But when you start praying for this city with these promises, begin to see the impact that you're going to have. If you think you've had an impact so far today, I can tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. The Lord encourages in his Bible several people groups, several nations. You've done well in this. Now excel even more. That's my challenge to you today. Develop a prayer life where you're fellowshipping with the Lord. And my suggestion always in doing that is start your prayer time with thanking God for what he's done. Let that be one side of the sandwich, if I may use that. Give him thanks for what he's done. And then go pray about what you need. Use the word. Pray his word back to him. And then you finish by putting the top on that sandwich, the other side of bread, by giving thanks for what you just prayed for. Yes, I'm saying you're going to give thanks today before you've crossed the Red Sea. Children of Israel played tambourines and sang and praised what? when they got across the Red Sea. We today, because we believe these scriptures that we've read, we can start praising today for those things that you have need of and you know you have promises. Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share with these, your beloved people. And we just ask right now, in the name of Jesus, for the Holy Spirit to work and implant deep in each person here that which has been spoken. Father, these are your words. They're not my words. They're not my opinion. We've confirmed it by two or three witnesses. So, Father, I'm expecting today, as we've prepared and we've sown seed, that this seed will be watered and it will produce a harvest of 10, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Father, we thank you. We ask you for souls in this city. We ask you for a city that shows that the blessing of God is upon his people who live in this city and this county. What a privilege it is, Father, to serve you, to worship you, Thank you that we have your promise saying you'll be faithful to your word 
You watch over it to perform it. And it's in Jesus' name we give thanks to you, the Most High God.